What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Blurted Out. Today, we got the new One Piece chapter 11,006, and we're going to be talking about the dangers in my heart and kind of comedy, romance, anime series in general. Of course, if you haven't caught up to the latest chapter, if you haven't watched the latest episodes, please be warned, there are spoilers ahead. Oops! Spoilers! Now, the cover story for this week's chapter is Robin dressing up a crocodile, which is just, you know, funny. She used to work for Crocodile, and now she's dressing this one up. But also, it's Robin. We love to see Robin in any kind of form. So this is a good cover story. The chapter kicks off with the layer to be revealed giant pirates heading towards Egghead. And they're talking about how they're really going at it, and it's just like in the newspaper. Now, I don't really recall how long we've been in Egghead in story. But I didn't feel like it was that long. I felt like this was kind of, you know, in a progression of maybe one, two days. But it's really fast for the newspaper to get that information out that everything that's going down on Egghead. If that's what they're responding to. Of course, it could also be something like the newspaper saying that Luffy's headed to Egghead and there will be some complications there just because he's going there. I'm not entirely sure. Now, I mentioned before that the return of Gear 5 Luffy is going to be imminent, and we get it back this chapter. He's done eating, digested food, goes right back into Gear 5. Now, we still don't really know how he got over here in this area, because he was basically incapable of moving once he used Gear 5. He was kind of tired out. He got some food, and then moved over here to eat the rest of his food. Now, who did that? We're still not sure. A lot of people are still saying Carbo. I think that's a possibility, but I'm just not sure. It it would feel somewhat out of nowhere for him to be here, but I guess also in place for him because he just shows up sometimes. We go over to see, one, the Marines are still laying it deep on Egghead, shooting cannons nonstop, just trying to obliterate the place. And then we see deeper in, the, the pacifists are still aiming for Kuma and Bonnie, basically where they were last chapter. Now, in the midst of all this, we have Vegapunk telling Atlas, send Bonnie a message. And when she conveys it, Bonnie goes ahead and asks the pacifista not to shoot and to help him escape instead. And they listen. Basically, Vegapunk went ahead and installed a command where Bonnie is the top brass of all the Kuma clones. Basically, she has the highest power in the hierarchy of who can control the pacifistas. Namely, the Kuma-based pacifistas. Because Vegapunk did not want Bonnie to die at the hands of Kuma. And he didn't want Kuma to be the one that kills Bonnie. So basically, there is no Kuma version of a pacifista that can hurt Bonnie. Or I guess that would hurt Bonnie if she commands him not to. It doesn't seem like they react to it natively. It's only on voice command. So she gives the command that pacifists to start blowing up the warships. And this was something I was interested about last time because I was saying how they really didn't care about the pacifists still being on the island, even though they were bombarding it. And now they're kind of reaping that because the pacifists are tearing them up from the island and they can't get anywhere past it. And it looks like they're probably gonna stop the buster call with this 
because the pacifist to destroy at least three ships in the the panel alone we see them turn them and then we see more ships getting destroyed later so unless they send another fleet of warships to egghead we might actually see the island survive at least for a little bit longer i mean we have a whole line of pacifistas so if we have them fighting on our side i'm imagining we're gonna have to get the seraphim involved and i wonder if i guess probably the kuma seraphim is going to have the same reaction so if bonnie gives the kuma seraphim a command it should obey her as far as the others it's very possible that they don't have that installed in them but i think the kuma seraphim would be one of the stronger ones especially if it has kuma's power now as vegapunk's kind of inner monologuing why he did this he laments that the choices he made here will have consequences and he faces that immediately when saturn stabs him through the chest now saturn has been really reluctant to destroy kill like he had bonnie his clutches didn't kill her vegapunk's kind of gone against him a few times since he's been here and he's just been chatting with him but at this point he's like all right i'm just gonna stab you i'm done with this even so i don't think this is death but i mean vegapunk looks pretty wounded and this is, isn't even like on the, the heart side of the chest it's just the right side so i'm pretty sure he's gonna be fine we'll have chopper put some bandages on and he'll be good to go now everyone's still falling and we have kizaru coming in to land some final blows what's cool about this is so we see sanji fly in there and he actually ends up deflecting one of the light beams with the uh egghead island shoe now i don't really know if there's hockey involved if it's just sanji if it's the shoe what's going on here that's cool panel nonetheless uh, i don't think it really does anything because everyone still gets shot behind him but it's a good try and then after using this which i believe is named after the sacred jewels i don't recall like the full japanese name but i think that's the one he's already used he goes up with amino Murakamo, and when he does it kuma puts out his hand in defense now for the most part we've kind of seen kuma just hang on to bonnie no matter what's happening even the beams were coming toward him he just kind of held bonnie close but with kizaru right in his face he holds his arm out and i initially thought it was kind of just a block the light coming into his eyes but i mean he's a robot at this point i don't think that would really affect him and he also does it palm outward so my thing is that if Kizaru actually managed to swing would he get deflected or would he cut through Kuma's hand I would have loved to see that but instead gear 5 if he comes in knocks Kizaru out of the sky and he does it from some distance too like he's not immediately in the area he actually sent his arm flying a while away and after the punch we kind of get Luffy's entrance with everything turning to rubber and bouncing around we hear the drums of liberation and now we're getting the the reveal for Bonnie and Kuma that Luffy is Sun God Nika. And I point back to Kuma again because, again, he's not doing what he was normally doing where he was kind of just sitting. It looks almost like he's recognizing who Nika is. Because we get a panel where Bonnie is turning to Vegapunk and we see Kuma in the background. And I would think, if anything, he'd be hovering over Bonnie. 
but you can see he's focused elsewhere, kind of like where Sanji is focused. And we even see a reaction panel of Kuma looking up at Luffy, while Vegapunk kind of explains to Bonnie that Luffy is Sankai Mika. And while Bonnie's observing, we get the, the Skypea pose of Luffy in the sky, doing basically like the, the Gear 5 pose, the one that everyone kind of mimics when they talk about Sun God Nika. And Vegapunk in his explanation even goes to say that a buster call is a tame problem for Gear 5 for Sun God Nika. Which is, I think, what a lot of us have been saying all along, is that the buster call really just doesn't have that, that oomph effect anymore. You know, we're not scared of a buster call. While they're all admiring Gear 5 Luffy, we see in the background that the robot we kind of got introduced to at the beginning of the arc starts activating again. It's responding to the drums of liberation from Luffy. Now, what this robot will do, I'm not entirely sure. The last time it was activated, it attacked Mary Joy. I don't think there's anybody here it could realistically attack and defeat but it might go after Saturn since he's the closest thing to Mary Joy. Also, as everyone's admiring Gear 5, we have the giant pirates coming in off the coast. And after the video last week, I was actually talking to someone and they made some sense where they said it wasn't the survivors that attacked the warship, but someone else going to Egghead that attacked the warship before the warship got to the survivors. Which I think makes the most sense there. And that makes the most sense here since we have the giant pirates arriving. They definitely didn't send a warship after giants. That would be really stupid because giants are crazy strong. You know, they should have learned from Saul that a couple warships isn't enough. Saul can lift a warship. Just sending one to destroy a boat wouldn't make any sense. So there's no way they just sent the boat for the giants. The giants were coming through to Egghead anyway, and they came across that ship. Now, some of the Marines actually didn't think that giants still existed, which I'm not really sure makes sense. I'm wondering if they think the giant pirates didn't exist anymore because they have giants in their own ranks. They have a giant squad division in the Marines. So there's no way they're like, giants don't exist anymore. So I, I think it is the fact that they're like, okay, these specific giants, the giant pirates during Bragi, I thought they died 100 years ago because they were off, you know, fighting on Little Garden. Now we know that the giants have a link to Shanks and they were just coming from Elbath. So this could be something linked to the final meeting between Luffy and Shanks. Now, I don't think we're gonna get this soon. Like if they go back to Elbath, I'm guessing that Shanks is not going to be there anymore. But it does look like the giant pirates are here to basically take the straw hats off of Egghead. And I doubt there's any place they would go besides Elbath. And they even refer to him as the Sun God. So they, they know all about Nika. They know all about Luffy. And it makes me wonder, does Shanks know? Because we, we have the suspicion that Shanks knew what the original fruit was. That's why he stole it or at least he was told to steal it because of what the fruit was. So he should, to some degree, have an idea of who Luffy actually is. Whether he knows it in depth or not, not entirely sure. It being Shanks, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm wondering if this is all a bigger part of Shanks' plans here. 
by the way it felt like a very short chapter um this chapter and the one before felt pretty short as far as content you know nothing i would say incredibly major happened i think the biggest thing is figuring out who the the ship was it ended up being the giant pirates i'm curious to see how far they go with bonnie's control over the kuma pacifistas i really want to see her interact with esper i think that's going to be the key to the arc because if they can't use original kuma they have esper and the same power and we are on break so that means agenda piece is about to be real strong an eye out on twitter for the greatest agendas it's gonna be amazing so the anime i've been watching most recently is called dangers in my heart it's a comedy romance about uh, a young boy named ichikawa and a young girl named imana now i've mentioned before but i am a big fan of comedy romance anime like it's a genre that i really didn't think i'd be interested in i honestly can't remember the first time i watched a comedy romance and kind of got the feel for it but the the ones that always stick out to me are ones like Toradora or Horimiya. Snafu is probably my favorite. Well, between Snafu and Kaguya-sama. But it's it's such a good genre to me. Like I I've fallen in love with the the tropes, the the character archetypes. Like all of it is just so fascinating. And I mean, I I love a good heartfelt anime after watching something like Jutsu Kaisen or Demon Slayer where everything's like action-packed and you know it's usually sad in some degrees like just watching it you know a nice heartwarming anime feels good and so far this one's this one's hitting on that same level like I I had some reservations in the beginning because the main character Ichikawa he's got a weird murder thing going on and I don't know why this is part of his character like I mean I guess I they're, they're trying to make him as the the loner, silent kid in school. But, like, I feel like they could have done that without making him as excited to talk about murder. And it tones down through the series. Like, I'm only in season one of two seasons, but the, the first few episodes, it's kind of like a thing where he talks about murder. And it's just really off-putting for, like, a... Uh, junior high student to be talking about the kind of stuff but as like i said the, the show progresses he does it less and less it's it's a character type that I, ultimately i get but i think it's kind of a weird choice but like i said that fades away uh yamada on the other hand is an absolute sweetheart she's definitely an airhead but like she she kind of just does her own thing all the time whether or not it makes sense and she's a big eater and so they they kind of start off this budding relationship where he hates her and he doesn't want her alive anymore and so his plan is to try and figure out when he can basically off her which is why i said it's kind of a crazy plot point to start with and that fades probably by like episode two or episode three to a point where they're interacting but not like not like friends they they pass by they spend a lot of time in the library together because that's where he always is and that's where she eats so they kind of have this every once in a while glance every once in a while they have a conversation and that slowly blossoms as each episode goes on 
to the point where he realizes that, okay, I actually like her. And seeing as it's from Ichikawa's point of view, we kind of get everything that's going through his mind as much as he thinks about her, how she probably thinks about him, at least from his perspective. But what I, I really enjoy about this is that Yamada isn't kind of just the character that he's interested in. The story also does a lot to prove that she shows interest and that she actually wants to progress the relationship. I'm trying to find out ways to interact with her. It's more honestly ways of her trying to interact with him. And he's just, he's so out of it as far as being like, socially inept he doesn't have friends you know he doesn't talk to people all the time so he reads a lot of her interactions as mocking him because she's incredibly popular she's like the, the popular pretty girl at school she's a model she stars in you know movies and stuff so he sees her interactions as like almost pity like you know i'm gonna be nice to this loner kid maybe it'll be fun but like i said as the story progresses they both get closer and they both kind of shed that outer shell. Like, even though she's a bit of an airhead, she seems a lot more put together when she's around Ichikawa. And even though he's like a, a loner and he's got this really dark mentality, it all lightens up when he's around her. And so far, I like the progression. I really want to see uh, a big leap before this season ends and before the next season starts. Um, one of the things that can kind of get me out of this genre of anime is that it's it's a repetitive lack of progress you know you have two characters interacting consistently yet they make no progress in furthering their relationship it's kind of just a back and forth um if you've ever seen so i would say this falls in between what takagi-san is and what kaguya-sama is if you've ever seen those two if you look at that middle ground right between those two, that's where you'd find this show. Because it's not so much as any of them are teasing each other, but they don't have the the awareness, the mental like awareness to really understand what liking each other means. So like they're they're going back and forth at it, and they're obviously showing hints that I like this person, but they just don't know how to interact. Like I said, Ichikawa sees everything as more of a hit on him than he does actual, like, interest. And then Yamada sees everything he does, but she doesn't know how to, like, interpret it or properly react to it. She still has a somewhat childish mentality, even though she basically operates in the adult world a lot more than anybody else because of her job. So it's a weird juxtaposition. And the more and more you see her character the more you see that she's like a little off but also when she wants to be she can be very astute in fact if i had to point out some of my favorite parts of the series so far it's the parts where yamada is more astute and more paying attention to what's happening with ichikawa like there are times where she's kind of just goofing off just having her own conversation you know just talking the way she talks but there are other times where she's actually making moves to show interest like when she's asking him for his phone number or 
if she's asking like to spend time with him or just be around him and it's it's so adorable because she's you can tell how hard she's trying but you can also tell how basically new to this she is because she's used to interacting with people she's used to people liking her because like i said she's a model and tv star so she kind of has that air about her where it's not a new thing to have people trying to you know ask for a number trying to date her things like that that's not new but for her to actually like someone else is is new territory for her so the times where she steps out and is vulnerable in that sense i think are the the really hard-hitting parts of the show and ichikawa has his moments too his just they tend to flicker back and forth because honestly sometimes he just does things reactionary like he doesn't always think about what he's doing he'll just see something happen and then it'll just kick on where he reacts and then he's asking himself from within like why am i doing this i don't i don't fully get what's going on here and at some point he does internalize and realize that he likes Yamato. like he can't he can't deny that any longer then he has to get over the hurdle of is it okay does she like me what is what is this whole world that i've stepped into this is in the same way that yamada has the the experience of people being interested in her he has the experience of many people not being interested in him i mean popular girl really unpopular guy interested in each other that's the premise of the story if it's something you haven't seen and you're interested in it, I would definitely say check it out because, like I said, so far I'm probably 10 episodes in and I'm really enjoying it. I can't wait to get to season two. I can't wait to see how season one ends. And it just makes me love the romance comedy genre more. And the, the reason I ended up picking up this one was because I saw it had a pretty decent rating on Mal and I was looking for another... Kind of comedy romance after i finished Masamune kun i like to have them intermittent like i'll watch some some action stuff or i'll watch a different genre and then i'll jump back into comedy romance like before this i was doing a dark gathering which is a horror and then uh this to kind of lighten it up i do plan on being finished with at least season one by the time the the next ep is out so i'll probably be talking about the ending of that in the next one um since we have a one piece break this since we have a one piece break next week i plan on doing an episode talking about hasbin hotel the last two episodes of the season should drop today so i'm gonna watch those and be ready to talk about it next week so if you have not watched hasbin hotel please check it out other than that i'll catch y'all on the next one